You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Album Tunes, Here Before You Die. talking about stevie wonder songs in the key of life on the line i have rob hey what's up and ben hello songs in the key of life is the 18th album by the american singer songwriter and musician stevie wonder it was released on september 28th 1976 uh, by tamala records a division of motown the producer was stevie wonder and the genre is soul funk r&b avant pop and jazz fusion and i'm going to read from all music review john bush Songs in the Key of Life was Stevie Wonder's longest, most ambitious collection of songs, a two LP plus accompanying EP uh, set that just as the title promised, touch on nearly every issue under the sun. And it did it all with ambitious, wide ranging arrangements and some of the best performances of Wonder's career. The opening Love In Need of Love Today and Have a Talk with God are curiously subdued, but Stevie soon kicks into gear with uh, Village Ghetto Land, a fierce expose of ghetto neglect set to a satirical Baroque synthesizer. Hot on the heels comes the torrid fusion jam, Contusion, a big brassy hit tribute to the recently departed Duke Ellington in Sir Duke, and the bumping poem to his childhood i wish though they didn't necessarily appear in order songs in the key of life contains nearly a full album on love and relationships along with another full album on issues of social and spiritual commentary fans of the love album talking book can marvel that he sets the bar even higher here with brilliant material like the tenderly cathartic and gloriously redemptive Joy Inside My Tears, the two-part smooth and rough ordinary pain, the bitterly ironic all-day sucker, or another classic heartbreaker, Summersoft. Those inclined towards Stevie Wonder, the social issues artist, had quite a few songs to focus on as well. Black Man was a bicentennial school lesson on remembering the vastly different people who helped build America. Pastime Paradise examined the plight of those who lived in the past and have little hope for the future. Village Ghetto Land brought listeners to a nightmare urban wasteland, and Saturn found Stevie questioning his kinship with the rest of humanity, imagining paradise as a resident of a distant planet. If all this sounds overwhelming, it is. Stevie Wonder had talent to spare during the mid-70s. Instead of letting the reserve trickle out during the rest of the decade, he let it go all at once. Uh, all right. What do we think of Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life? <laughs> what do you say about this album? What do you say? about this album 
I mean, what hasn't been said about this <laughs> masterpiece? I mean, this is I mean, unbelievable. This is one of those records that like it, it's like someone, I don't know, talking about um, like uh, fucking uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Like it, it, it's in that pantheon of like, this is the best album that's ever been made. Like, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Jesus Christ, Stevie Wonder, what? what the hell was in the water with that young man? I mean, obviously it's everyone he grew up with and then played on all of those records and then came out with this stuff. But yeah, I, this is, this is one of the few double records plus a fucking seven inch mm-hmm. that, I mean, the, the seven inch is such like a cherry on top, like, yeah. of Oh yeah. By the by, I've also got these four other really red songs that couldn't quite fit on the other <laughs> Uh, four sides so here you go and like yeah not none of it's bad like and, and and multiple listens like makes me appreciate the songs that i wasn't like kind of feeling like on the earlier ones too it's so fucking weird and awesome and great and wonderful i absolutely contusion in fact no yeah contusion yeah this this song fucking rules <laughs> it's so proggy it's like have we had prog funk yet uh has some Herbie Hancock. I don't know if it was yeah. Prague, but speaking of Herbie's going to be showing up That's on right. as what side side four uh, for as yeah, love it. No, I mean this. When I got into, I think I worked backwards from this album. Once I realized this album was just the masterpiece, um, I don't remember when, but I started looking at you know what is considered the all time greatest albums. Uh, probably that's why it led me to this project. But I remember looking at this one and this was definitely in the top 20. Everyone just had this really, really high. So I started listening to this and I worked backwards from there. Then I got into uh, Intervisions. Then I got into Talking Book. And But yeah, what a magnificent album. All the songs are like completely just masterfully done and they're all completely different. Which is crazy to think about because we consider things like the White Album uh, so kind of, I consider, prolific. But this is just Stevie Wonder. This is just him. He did all this. uh, Yeah. You know, obviously there's great players on this, but he had so many ideas. And it's, I think you guys were saying, uh, you know, if he would have just held back on these, he'd have four albums, you know? Yeah. He just t- took a little break and and, and s- sprinkled in the gems uh, with whatever else. Yeah, like if he had taken all of just like the the banger memorable songs off this album, if if he had spread it over four albums, we would probably still be talking about each one of them as part of this podcast. You know? Yeah. He just went. He just went for it. It's like he just said. You know what? I got it. I got all of these songs. Who cares? He's twenty six at the time. Of, with our, our, our like perspective of history, do you think that he should have maybe saved up some of like because he kind of did? Uh, like he from this album towards Stevie Wonder of, of later. Like it, it, like it's still good stuff. It's still Stevie Wonder but it doesn't feel like it's the same, I don't know, caliber of the, of this mid seventies, like explosion of creativity he was having. No, I got I don't want to, I don't want to 
talk down on it, but he definitely had a golden era. And then he kind of closes out that golden era with two discs plus of, of like just hit upon masterpiece upon hit. And then, and then what though? Uh, uh, I just called to say, I love you. Yeah, it is. It is a bit interesting because he only had one other album that came out in the seventies. And I think that, I think it did kind of hurt hurt him by having just this because he worked tirelessly on this album. I mean, he he really pushed people in the studio to, you know, keep up with him um, and his ideas. So I think he had a bit of a well, you know, I did I did the best I could. What else? What else can I even do? Because it's like a director, you know, making a masterpiece of a movie and everybody agrees. Yeah. That's the best movie, you know. How do you follow that up? It's it's intimidating, but at the same time, I mean, Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder's next studio album after this is 1979's Stevie Wonder's Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants, which I have not heard, but I am intrigued now. <laughs> it sounds rad. I, I haven't. You, you I know didn't how I feel about yet, plant but, music. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if it's anything like Plantasia, I'm I'm all in. See if you want to stake on plants. <laughs> the way that like we talk about sequencing pretty much constantly uh, on this on this program, but the way these are like sequenced, like side to side to side to side, like it's it never slows down. Like there, there's no lull on on this five disc record. It gets a good, yeah, I think you're right. It does have a good flow starting off a little easy. I mean, with a love song and then just kicking into high gear with Sir Duke and just keeping that going. Yeah, it's wonderful. It just has, has a good feeling. You just don't want it to stop. (laughs) And I think this, this also harkens back to some stuff that I've said before with like, I don't know if I would have appreciated this in my twenties. Really? Like, I, I, I don't know if this would have grabbed me. I mean, because, I mean, what we're listening to right now is a Sir Duke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, this reminds me of the, like, what Jamiroquai was going for. Uh, like, yeah. And I, I, I had my flirting with them when I was in my teens, and then it dropped it like a bad habit. Like, as soon as I found, you know, I guess post-punk, like, so I, I think that this would have fallen on the wayside for a long time, too, as well. Like, I, I think that... I'm just in more of a headspace that I can appreciate a five-sided record by Stevie Wonder because I mean it's soft, it's still soft. Yeah. Um, I mean, but he does it so well; it doesn't like it. It doesn't make me. It's not. I've I've yet to cringe at a Stevie Wonder like track, you know. And I've definitely cringed plenty with some of the other stuff that like is in the vein that's been in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there, there's some stuff on here that makes me want to get on that yacht rock boat. <laughs> <laughs> like, like makes me full full on want to put on my my uh, my water shoes. Yeah, I think there's a couple of torch songs that are a bit soft that are interesting. I mean, one of my favorite songs on here is "Knocks Me Off My Feet," which is super soft, but I love mm-hmm. it. I just love <laughs> the way it goes from uh, verse to like a very long pre-chorus, and then like. That chorus is just that hook, man. Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. And then he does it again, where he does he does the the verse chorus and then a key change on the second chorus at the end. Ah, uh, it's amazing. 
it's real soft, but at the same time, it just feels so good because he's got mm-hmm. a great voice too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Did he, anyone else discover this album or get into this album after they already knew the songs? Uh, well, not only Gangster's Paradise, but also uh, Wiki Wild Wild West. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to say that I, I mean, I, I heard both of those songs before I listened to this record. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the first time I heard this record, when when Pastime Paradise starts up with that like that beat and those strings, I'm like, oh, this is where Coolio sampled uh, Gangsta's Paradise from. It's like this. He must have sampled this intro. And then the song kept on going and just kept on being that song. And then it gets to like the hook. And like he, you just change pastime to gangsters, <laughs> and I'm like, wait, he didn't sample this song. He, he he fucking covered this song. He straight up he covered pastime paradise. They rap it wraps over the verses and changes a uh, uh, like a lyric of uh of the chorus, which is all well and fine, except that Coolio sued Weird Al over Amish paradise. <laughs> <laughs> Like, right? <laughs> like, first off, Weird Al has been doing this for a minute. If Weird Al doesn't, like, do you think, Weird Al is a sober dude that makes parody songs for a living. You don't think he crosses his all of his legal eyes, or crosses his legal D's and dots of legal eyes? Of course he does. Like, he, he clears all of this stuff before he's going to release Weird Al record. And... And then to find out, no, he he's not ripping you off, Coolio. If anything, he's ripping off Stevie Wonder, who doesn't <laughs> seem to mind, you know. <laughs> and you ripped him off too. And 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 now you're calling out someone else who's going to be the third person you sing this melody. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that Coolio paid all kinds of rights to use Pastime Paradise as that song. I'm I'm just gonna oh, you I'm, I'm gonna right. say that every every T was crossed and every I was dotted. Yeah, um, but it it does remind me of Radiohead suing Lana Del Rey for for creep after mm-hmm. being sued by the holidays for the air that I breathe. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. H- Holly's get a writing credit. <laughs> Holly's get a writing credit on creep. Lana Del Rey just has to give all of her money back to uh, Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really amazing if someone. If uh, if someone got into court and they were like, actually, I was copying this other band that I guess you didn't know about, you know, (laughs) you'd be like, I was ripping them off. So if if you're suing me, then they should be suing you. Isolation, exploitation, mutilation, mutation, miscreation, information to the evils of the world and spending most of their lives living in the future paradise. And spending most 13 consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard 200, becoming the album with the most weeks at number one during the year. It was second best-selling album of 1977 in the U.S. I'm going to guess. Rumors? I'm going to... Oh, yeah, Boston. So it probably would be rumors. Yeah, I think you're right. 
I should look that up. Uh, songs is also certified diamond. I mean, what what else can you say? It won the Grammy. Um, that was yeah. his third Grammy, almost in a row. In a row well, it was in a, in a row. row for him. It was three consecutive albums. That's true. Uh, but he didn't have an album come out in 1976. Yep. Because he was thinking about quitting music, you know, he, after, uh, yeah, so you, you've got talking book, uh, inner visions, uh, as a fulfilling this first finale and, uh, the, they're all huge smashes and the last two of them went album of the year. And so Stevie wonder, uh, Stevie wonder is considering quitting music entirely to, to move to Ghana to work with handicapped children. And uh, so they're scheduling his, his like his grand farewell concert. But uh, at this time, uh, he I wouldn't be surprised if it was Barry Gordy himself, but he's approached by Motown uh, and they offer him a seven year, seven album, 37 million dollar deal to stay with Motown, where he uh, retains full artistic control. It was the largest record deal in history at the time uh, in like twenty nineteen dollars. It'd be one hundred and seventy-five million eight hundred one thousand four hundred eighty-four to stay with Motown. So he did not move to Ghana. He went to the studio, and he made this. <laughs> and then wow. it won the and then the one is third third Grammy <laughs> for album possibly. of the year. Possibly <laughs> he yeah. stayed and made possibly the greatest album of all time. <laughs> Who knows? Right. I would say a uh, good investment, Motown. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they did have to eat some costs because uh, during the recording, it was taking such a long time that he insisted that they cancel a forthcoming triple disc greatest hits package at the request of Stevie Wonder, which was 200,000 copies that he sent to the incinerator. Is that that? Well, is, is that the same like? Motown three disc anthology that they at the time were releasing for all their artists. Like there's a, there's like a Smokey Robinson's one Robinson one. I know there's a Marvin Gaye one. They all had like a monochrome cover with like a black halftone image of, uh, of the performer on the front, which Stevie wonder did get one. I think. And I think it was, they did it after this, uh, maybe in 78. So you're saying instead of sitting on those records, they burned them. Yeah. He said, he said, no, we're not doing uh, greatest hits. So he, he told them to cancel it. Wow. <laughs> I think I think Paul Simon in 1976 thanks Stevie Wonder for not putting out a record that year he when did. he won album of the year. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's when you know oh, man. You're, you're big time. When people are thanking you for not putting out an album. <laughs> mm-hmm. Man, fucking uh, when he got the Grammy for this, he he was in Africa already, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like doing a thing and, and uh, they're trying to like telecast in. And so all there is is like a horrible reception and just this picture of Stevie Wonder on the screen. And uh, the, the best quote is Andy Williams asking, Stevie, can you see us? <laughs> oh, Andy. <laughs> oh, all right, we're on pastime time. Have paradise. another martini, Andy. <laughs> I want to yeah, ta- talk about the Yamaha GX One. Ah, yes, the the precursor to the Yamaha CS80. Is that what's doing the synth springs, it, or what's doing, doing the synth? Yeah, it's a huge thing. It it was sixty thousand um, dollars, or in today's money, it'd be three hundred twenty thousand. Uh, it was intended as a prototype for like 
future consumer sense and only a handful were ever made a couple people like heavyweights got them like keith emerson uh led zeppelin's john paul jones got one abba composer benny anderson got one and uh stevie wonder bought two because <laughs> oh. you never know <laughs> you never know <laughs> it could, could break down but he uses it to great effect i think on both pastime paradise and um uh village uh getaway it's yeah. it's it, because it presents that really cool bro- baroque uh, melodies. It sounds really good too. I I hadn't really thought about it until I started doing all the research, and you know, you could almost imagine if it, just having this be a, a little bit of an orchestra or having a live orchestra. I mean, it's it's pretty close, um, but it still has that edge. It still has like a the the. Moog, the sort of like synthetic sound. Have you seen a picture of the uh, GX1 Birch? Did you look yeah. it up? Yeah, I saw I, a couple I videos. Haven't. I haven't. Looks amazing. Yeah, it looks like a something out of uh, like 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yeah, it looks like so. a spaceship. But or yeah. like it, it, it looks like a just Yamaha, a big, you say? big organ. You know, it looks like a church organ with except it doesn't have the big pipes. You know, yeah, it just the, has the, like a the, full. The presets oh, on it awesome. fucking suck. They sound that's horrible. That's so cool. But like why, the, would that, the actual, why would they make bad presets? That's well, just, just like, Because they they don't know what they're doing. Or oh. they didn't know what they were doing at that point in time. But like the, the synthesis aspect of it, like is, you can get some really interesting tones out of it. Uh, Richard, uh, Richard James, is that the dude from Aphex Twin? Sure. Uh, I don't know. I think so. Yeah, yeah, he's he he's he's got one. I think he used it on uh, selected ambient works. Um, That's cool. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, I yeah, we're, we're getting close to like the Vangelis synth stuff now. Like uh, the the CS sixty and CS eighty. Like they're they're right around the corner. The consumer synthesizer with m- multiple notes that can be played at the same time. Which, I was go- ooh, yeah, hadn't happened. Yeah, I was gonna ask. Do you think Stevie Wonder? is one of the, what would you say? He pushed synth into pop, I mean, probably more than people give him credit for. Well, I mean, well, he was... And he, he had that Tonto. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, he was doing he, Moog. He was, he was doing all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, he, he definitely pushed it in the, the forefront. I mean, good God, the past, what, we do four of his albums? Yeah. That's yeah, this, this is the fourth of his consecutive albums, yes. And he and he's always pushed the envelope with the synth stuff to the point where Elton John in an interview said that the reason why he never got into synthesizers was because Stevie Wonder had already like, you know, figured the whole thing out. Like there was nothing that Elton John could have possibly added to the equation of being a synthesis the way that he was. So, yeah, um, and definitely. Um, yeah, I'm not saying that sort of craft work and the, that whole, you know, European collection of people. However, Stevie Wonder is like he's top of the pop charts, you know, it's, yeah, these are, these are singles. These, these are, are top singles. 10 singles. It, whereas someone would have to dig if they really wanted to hear synth sounds. Uh, I mean, P-Funk, man, we, we just did parliament and True. that, yeah, that is all over the place. The, the mini milk work that dude does is insane. Um, is that Bernie Worrell at the time? Yeah, no, I mean, you can't have the best, one of the best selling albums of all time. <laughs> be mostly just the synthesizers and not say that he definitely pushed it, like pushed the envelope forward with that. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to say you're right. 
He definitely this did. was this was the first American album to debut at number one on the Billboard charts and the third album of all times. That's so weird. I just think that's that's a strange statement. I just don't. I well, when when I when I first heard that, I was thinking, well, shit, if this is the first American, but there was already non-American ones. I thought about it for like a half second. I'm like, oh, probably Beatles. You know, yeah. like probably Sergeant Peppers or whatever. Rolling but it's Stones. not. I mean, there's. Oh, really? It's, it's not that either. No. Is it Elton John? It is. <laughs> but not even like. So the they're both Elton John. Elton John has both other entries of this three entry list. Uh, one of them is uh, Captain Fantastic, and the other one is Rock of the Westies, which I'm not familiar with. Me neither. But it debuted at number one. But before this did, uh, <laughs> that's, that's weird, right? Yeah. I mean, I really would have thought it was like Sgt. Peppers or something. Yeah. At that time, though, I think a lot of a lot of the debuting at number one were pre-sales, just like this album had so many pre-sales. They, it, there was a whole marketing campaign behind it. Exactly. Uh, like, yeah. What, what was it like? We're, we're almost done or something. <laughs> yeah. Like there made, was a slogan, yeah. and they printed it on Motown printed on T-shirts. I, I, I hope. I hope I'm not mixing up the slogan. Is it "We're almost done" or? Uh yeah, yeah. It's almost finished. I believe it. Almost, yeah, we're almost finished. Uh, but at no point I, I've looked. I looked at pictures of these shirts on like eBay and stuff because I was really curious about them. And it looks like nowhere on the shirt does it say Stevie Wonder or Motown. The shirt just says, we're almost finished. Yeah. But people just knew it was Stevie Wonder's album they were talking about? I guess so. He wore a, he wore some around the studio. He, I saw he wore like one with like iron-on letters. Like it looked homemade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, did you read also, I read this wonderful, uh, when they were ready to do the listening party. Uh, did you uh, hear anything about that? Mm-mm. It's like Mm-mm. he he was like, all right, we're done with the album. It took so long to create the album. We're, we're going to do this. So uh, he he brought in like the world press, met in the lobby of Manhattan's Essex uh, house on uh, September 7th, 1976. They gulped down a quick uh, breakfast before being ushered in three buses that took them to Kennedy International Airport, <laughs> uh, not before going through Times Square, where there was like a 60 by 100 foot billboard that had the album. <laughs> wow. Uh, they touched down in Massachusetts. Uh, they were loaded onto a fleet of school buses for a short ride to the listening party. They go to Longview Farm, which was a 143-acre equestrian ground. They basically, like, it's, it's it was a, like a world-class studio used by Stones, Cat Stevens, Aerosmith, all these other people. They were treated to, you know, a meal, roast beef, pie, champagne. Uh, Stevie Wonder walks in in a gaudy cowboy getup, <laughs> complete with 10-gallon hat. <laughs> Leather fringe and a gun holstered uh, and emblazoned <laughs> with the words number one with a bullet. Uh, the whole gala was $30,000. And then he says, Let's pop what's popping. And he spun up the tape, the reel to reel, and just basically was like, This is it. He just like took everybody to, <laughs> to the awesome. studio. 
Uh, oh, that's really cool. I mean, it really seems like he was that this is like the top, you know, he, he saw this album as just being like, this is it. This is my masterpiece. What can I do? And it is. And it is. And it fucking is. Good God. Uh, who, who has this? Uh, Whitney Houston had this listed as like her number one album of all so time. Does, so does George, Prince. George Michael as well. Number one album of all time. had an algorithm to find the top album of all time and uh the algorithm used a uh, like s- cultural staying power uh plus uh sales value plus critical rating value plus grammy award value and uh surprise surprise it's this album yeah <laughs> i could i could absolutely see that though yeah the the real it's weird it's because it's so many different things that it's it's hard. I had the I have the same reaction to the White Album. It's just so much. When you yeah when you think about value for what you get, it's incredible. I mean, if you don't like some of these songs, just wait another song. You're you're gonna find something if you're interested in this this type of music at all. I absolutely concur. Um, mm-hmm. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Again, this is like my fifth or sixth time like listening to this all the way through and I'm finding more and more stuff that I like that I didn't either catch or was just like wasn't paying attention to at that point in time. Like it Man, I don't even we don't even have to go around the room. There's there's uh, no way nah, you, you can't it's, it's love great. this album. Actually, there is a way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, is there any my, criticism that someone can lay upon this album other than just I think my only criticism could be if you were if you were like I'm going to listen to this front to back it does I mean it's long it's really long it's epic in scope especially if you want to throw uh, on the EP you after. have to get up f- 5 times to do it because yeah. the 7 inch needs to be flipped <laughs> you're right I don't have a critique but uh but my wife Carrie doesn't like this album really she she doesn't she doesn't really like pre-80s stevie wonder (laughs) it's like it's like a bizarro uh a high fidelity instance huh how does she feel about soul though soul music no well she ray charles uh, like she well sam cook most of it she likes there's there's one there's one other album that uh that baffles me that she doesn't. And that's dock of the bay. Okay. Uh, but, uh, for Stevie wonder, uh, it's, it, it hits her ears as cheese Uh, and it used, and it used to for me. Yeah. Uh, but it still does for her. But then like, 
once like but like in in the 80s like when he's doing like i just called to say i love you with that just like clean tight 80s pop yeah she's like yeah now that's what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah it's a hard i think getting I told, over I, I let her know that she was in the minority <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely let her know she's an insane maniac <laughs> <laughs> needs to i think i think that is something there's something to be said about the as you called it cheese or i mean what else would we call it it's soft man soft. it's soft it's kind of schmaltzy a little bit Schmalt- okay it's, it's stevie wonder he's your soft boy stevie wonder but at the same time i think there's something when when an album comes out or you can hear it with fresh ears that it's it's hard to do so i understand that you know you're hearing the the softness the sort of cheese but I mean, a lot of that has to do with all the other artists that copied this after mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Those really s- soft 80s, you know, performers that are adult, con- we would consider adult contemporary. Yeah. And so it's hard to get past that and see the sort of soul aspect. I think it helps with his lyrics, that if you're reading along with his lyrics, you can kind of get a bit more into into what he's doing yeah that that is different but yeah i i could see that at nighttime ben just read aloud from one of the two <laughs> copies of those <laughs> lyric books to her and see if you can turn her on this yes <laughs> i'll 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 well I'll give, her th- give her a copy i'll give her a copy so she can read it I'll, while I'll you read from to one her. and i'll give her one so she can follow along <laughs> i think I think if you played Pastime Paradise, though, she'd be into that, right? She probably likes the Coolio song. I mean, probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like the it's, Coolio uh, th- song. This past week, I-, I played this album a lot this past week around the house, you know, both for my homework and also because, man, it's already on the turntable and why not? Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah but I-, I was just catching some comments throughout the week <laughs> that I did not agree with. <laughs> nice. All right, total positive. It's on the it's on the scratch off chart, so I'll scratch it scratch off. Scratch it off. See if we can hear it. Oh, Stevie Wonder's baby, just baby talking. Also, um, so we're listening to Isn't She Lovely right now, and that, yeah, that's his baby. Uh, it's also th- on this track of the album. Stevie is playing everything you hear. I think the the rest of the album, you know, he he he's got people in the studio with him, which I think was a good move for him. I know he can do it all by himself. But for an album like this, yeah, yeah, man. Like, invite but, <laughs> those 130 it, people in. <laughs> right. But uh, isn't she lovely? Uh, I think, except for a little bit of rhythm guitar work somewhere, uh, I think it, it, it's almost all just him. Yeah. 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 I, I, I agree with that. I mean, he, uh, I think it's impressive when he does it all, but I think you might have a, a better product. Um, when you have and if it took him players. if it took him this long with help think oh, of God. <laughs> how long we would have to wait if he's doing everything it's like five years <laughs> yeah all right that'll do it for one of the greatest albums mm-hmm. yeah all right next time we'll be talking about peter frampton frampton comes alive all right thanks y'all Yeah.
before it's gone too 